Hey everyone, this is Natasha Jung and you are listening to Pearls of Wisdom on Cold Tea Collective. Now, we're just getting the hang of doing these audio interviews, aka podcasts, aka extended deep dive conversations, aka real talk. So I'm super excited to share with you one of our interviews with Curtis Lum, a 31-year-old actor from Vancouver, BC. Now, the first time I saw him in person was in an office that I used to work at, and I gotta admit that I was actually like kind of scared to say hi because I was like, oh, that's that guy from that show and that show and this show. Um, and by that show and this show and that show, I actually mean Prison Break, Supergirl, and Siren. Um, so Curtis has been in a number of things and I, I'd like to say that he's just getting started in his acting career as well. But that being said, um, Curtis has actually been around in the industry for about 10 years now. And so I'm super excited to share this interview with you. And the interview was actually done in two parts um, in the last few weeks of 2018. So please pardon the date references as you listen throughout the, uh, the uh, extended audio that we have here. Oh, and warning, um, a few minutes into the interview, I actually say a really weird word. It's like my own version of gruel. If you're a Mean Girls fan, you'll get the reference. Now, if you listen and find it, DM us or tweet us the funky word, and I will give you a high five if we ever meet in person, or I'll give you a shout out or something like that. Um, either way, um, so we have a great conversation with Curtis, and partway through the interview, Curtis, as a working actor, actually had to go to an audition. So we'll actually get to hear a little bit from him before and after the audition as well. Um, and if you keep listening on, you'll hear from Curtis about his show Siren and a whole bunch of other fun stuff. So without further ado, here we go. My interview with Curtis Lum. So I'm here with Curtis Lum, actor, producer, music extraordinaire, hip-hop legend um, uh, here in Vancouver. We're sitting outside Milano Coffee on 8th and Columbia, and it's really loud inside, so we decided to sit outside, but I just literally got hit in the face with a leaf. It's a windy day. Um, oh my god, a tree! <laughs> yeah, I really hope we don't act. It's a good actor right there, I actually believed you. <laughs> have you ever tried voice acting before? Or? No, but I was just thinking, you have a great voice. Oh, thank you. Do you have yeah. any roles for me? <laughs> We'll talk. JK, not really. You know, that's okay. Sounds good. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll make something happen. Um, so this is, you know, I've met with you a couple times before. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I wanted to sit down with you is because um, I just feel like you've got this, like, amazing positive energy and vibe. And you're just so hardworking. I really do think that you are the embodiment of Hustle and Heart, which is our series, uh, one of our series um, with Culty Collective. And um, wanted to learn a little bit more about you and see what we can share with others. Uh, our listeners, mm -hmm. uh, you know, hopefully inspire them to, to do the same, mm -hmm. follow their heart and apply that hustle. <laughs> so what's the audition for? And how do you prepare for your auditions? Uh, the audition is for a hit new series. <laughs> a hit new series. <laughs> that shall remain uh, nameless, but uh, yeah, it's just for, I guess, star part. Uh, I'm currently still on the siren, so. Mm -hmm. There's only kind of a what what I'm allowed to go for is kind of limited, um, and this kind of works out with mm -hmm. the time frame uh, or the scheduling of time. Is it mostly like time frame or like similar shows that you're allowed to? Uh, it's more time frame, like mm -hmm. you know, because I'm already kind of set up with that show. Um, I can't really take anything that would uh, that would conflict with with the days that I already have. I'm not Got sure. It. 
Um, and so this kind of works out. So it'd be a cool little fun couple of days on another show before going back to Siren. Um, yeah. Prepping for an audition is... Every audition is different, but... Um, you know, acting's all about impulse. So I just typically just wing it. Wing it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was, like, uh, looking at you. Like, I don't know if that's really... Uh... <laughs> no, I... Uh, what I typically do is I'll read the sides, which is what your audition piece is called. Mm-hmm. So it's it's an excerpt from the script that's specific to your character. Okay. And uh, so I'll just read it over and over and over and try to get the gist of what the scene's about, what the story's about, what the show's about, what they want out of the characters. And then I'll write it out, like all my lines, a bunch. For memorization? Or? Yeah, it helps me with memorization, just mm-hmm. taking my time and writing out each word as I'm learning the words. Um, and then once I have it, once I kind of have the rhythm down or the, or the flow, flow down or the idea of what I want to do down, then um, I sleep on it. I try not to over cram it. I sleep on it. I wake up and then I apply like my choices as far as what I want to do with each line. Mm-hmm. I don't want, I don't like overworking it. I, I do like to go into the room with some of it being still kind of like fresh. Mm-hmm. You know, so as if it is me saying these words for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that allows me to keep it natural and to kind of uh, not over rehearse. And so it allows yeah. me to be present. And then, then, when, then you can improvise. You know, you can work with whatever they give you in the room or whoever your reader is, you know what I mean? You, you can't really predict what that's going to be like. So when you when, when you go in there with too much of an idea what something is supposed to be like, I feel like you're setting yourself up for failure. For sure. And do you think that uh, you're setting yourself up for failure? I mean, I'm sure that, you know, can't apply to auditions, but I mean, I think that probably applies to a lot of things in life too, right? You kind of go in like over planning things, over rehearsing things, it becomes over overproduced, right? And That's you, life, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it? It is really life, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so how do you allow for that flexibility in your life to be able to kind of maybe change directions at, at the drop of a hat, maybe let's see if a new role comes up, a new opportunity comes up for you? Ooh, good question. Uh, I think just doing your best to, to, to keep present and just dealing with life moment to moment. I don't really see, I mean, not to say that, you know, don't set goals or I'm not saying don't, you know, plan, right? But, but just like you said, I think you can't, you can't plan out every moment that's to, that's to come. So just preparing yourself to be the best you can be in the very moment and taking it one step at a time is really the only way that I've been able to kind of maintain such a busy life to juggle so many different things. Mm-hmm. So it's 2018, you've been acting professionally for 10 years, is that right? Yeah, give or take. Okay, all right, so oh, yeah. how would you compare who Curtis was when you first started acting versus today? <laughs> so when I got into this game, I was just this hungry, uh, uh, energetic, just hustler. Uh, I was in the 
clothing business. I had my own clothing line called Chinaman's Club that I was hustling you know, into stores from here to Edmonton to New York. Um, I was running my own club nights. So I had like, on any given week, I'd have at least one or two parties that I was throwing with uh, you know, some of my favorite DJs in the city. Uh, I was also managing my family's restaurant all at the same time. And it was my dad that, that kind of, it's funny because my dad used to always say weird things to me. Like, you know, I remember my dentist asked me if I wanted to get braces. I didn't know how I, f how I felt about that, but I asked him, I'm like, dad, dentist says I should get braces. What do you think? He goes, guess what the hell do you need braces for? Like, you know, only movie stars need nice teeth. Like, what do you need nice teeth for? And I was like, no, you're right. <laughs> okay. But on the same, on the, on the flip side of that, it was, it was him that taught me, especially working in restaurants. He's like, you know, when you come into work, as soon as, as soon as we open those doors, it's like you're on stage. As soon as we open the doors, it's lights up. It's a, it's a performance. Your customers are like the audience. They don't care about what kind of day you've had, how shitty your week's been. They want to be razzled and dazzled. They want to be entertained. And so I always looked at all of the things that I was doing as a form of entertainment. And acting was something that I've always wanted to do. You know, uh, growing up, all, a lot of my childhood heroes were actors. But a lot of them were multi multifaceted. You know, like your Will Smiths, um, your your Jamie Foxes, your uh, you know what have you. Um, and people kind of told me they're like, you know, what, you, you should be an actor. And so I, I my parents think thought that I was going to school at the time as well, taking like so night classes. So you acted like as if you were going to school. Yeah. Uh, I see what yeah, you did yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I took these I took these acting classes for like two or three months without even telling them. Wow. And uh, that is going to school. Yeah, but for me it was really about I thought it, I looked at it as like another hustle. Like I just mm. I th I saw an opportunity. Like I had a few friends that were getting into it and they were making all this money and I was like oh cool I want I if they can do it I can do it. Um, and so that was really all it was just me trying to find a way to make more money. Mm -hmm. um, fast forward. 10 years later if you know I've realized really really quickly that this is not a, a, a career that you can sh that, that you can do just for the money you know as cliche as it is you know they say don't chase money or fame and I, I totally get that now and so now I have a completely different outlook you know I've I've, I've been broke for so long doing this that it's taught me that I truly do love this for, for all that it is. And, you know, it's, uh, I, it's been 10 years of heartbreak, um, uh, you know, a low self-esteem and, and injuries and sickness, mental health. Um, you know, it's definitely not for the weak or the, or the um, thin-skinned, you know. It's, so I'm a lot more chill about it now. And I'm, uh, I'm a lot more confident in my own skin. Mm -hmm. So therefore, uh, I'm still the same hungry actor as I was 10 years ago, but uh, I'm a bit smarter with what it is I want to do now and how I feel that I can, you know, take the right steps in, ter in terms of creating a legacy for myself. Mm -hmm.
a lot of your acting gigs are based in Vancouver, is that right? Yes. Yeah. A lot of them. Cool. Um, so you've been on Supergirl, you've been on Prison Break, and now Siren, and amongst a, a, amongst a couple other shows as well. Um, describe your the favorite character you've ever played. Uh, if you could choose. <laughs> no, I'm 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 really happy with. I can I can honestly say it's the first time that I've been able to really sink my teeth into a character and grow with the show. Mm -hmm. So I was cast during the pilot. Um, so basically, a lot of networks they'll shoot a pilot, one episode, and based on the interest that that one episode gets, that de uh, deci deciphers whether or not the show will continue for the rest of the season. Mm -hmm. So I shot the pilot like three years ago. Wow. People liked it. We got picked up for a second season. Mm -hmm. Or sorry, our first season. Okay. Right? Yeah. Who, who are the people that decide? Like, is it just shown on a network? Yeah. Or like so, the, does... so, so the network will test it. Okay. Right? And they'll, they'll bring in various types of audience uh, people. Yeah. Right? Um, and they'll see, I guess it's marketability, mm -hmm. right? And uh, I think our show just soared with flying colors. And uh, so we went to we went to season about a year later. Okay. Right, so it was a, about a, almost a year difference between when we shot the pilot and when we shot episode two of the season. Oh wow! Is that because there has to be all the production planning, the writing needs to happen in between? Because I can only imagine, like as a as a you know a, a script a, a scriptwriter, you know, you probably got like a bajillion scripts you're you're pitching and stuff like that. The fact that one of them gets picked up for a pilot and then so, like why would you write on an entire se like totally. first season, right? Oh yeah. Okay, I mean, during okay. pilot quote unquote pilot season, yeah, a lot of the bigger networks, you know, like your NBCs, your CBSs, and all that, they they shoot. I don't know the exact number, but let's call it like somewhere between 30 to 50 pilots. Oh my gosh. And maybe three of them, four of them actually make it to air. Wow. wow. I had so, no idea. Just because, just because you're shooting the pilot does not guarantee that your show is going to make, make the cut. Make the cut yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so in my case, I was there from the beginning. and But from the very beginning, my character... Um, you know, we knew very little about him. Okay, so for those of us who haven't had a chance to watch Siren yet, what's mm -hmm. the show about? And then you can tell us maybe about your character. Sure. So the show is about this coastal town named Bristol Cove. Um, there is a history to the town, uh, uh, to once upon, a t uh, once upon a time belonging to mermaids. And there's a lot of folklore and, and myths revolving around that. And... One day, this mysterious girl shows up, and from that moment on, everything kind of was never the same, and the whole town gets flipped upside down. I play a fisherman called Calvin. He's a part of the North Star crew, and we are one of the first people to encounter what we think is a mermaid, mm. uh, which you can see in the trailer, you can see in the first episode. We, we catch something that we think is a fish at first, but we don't know what it is, and we find out that it is, in fact, something dangerous. Uh, and then we spend kind of the rest of the 
season trying to figure out what it was that we caught and if it is in fact what we think it is how are we going to deal with it mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's it's pretty exciting the reason why I like Calvin so much is like I said I've got gotten to grow with him so I feel like I've been able to put a lot of input and a lot of myself into the character mm -hmm. which I'm not sure if they saw originally and or initially when they just created the character mm -hmm. um, I'm happy to say that my character arc has grown quite significantly as the show has been progressing mm -hmm. um, and I think most importantly the role has nothing to do with my ethnicity like I've just gotten to just be myself and really bring myself to it um, which is which is really cool yeah which is really really cool yeah um, but I get to do a lot of fun stuff that I, mm -hmm. I you know that I, I would have never done myself like to, being a fisherman being out there in the water is something mm -hmm. completely foreign to me yeah uh, I don't have a water phobia per se but I'm definitely I'm not the kind of guy you see like swimming in the ocean or, yeah. or, or <laughs> even fair. in swimming pools that's, really. that's, that's fair I'm yeah. the guy lounging on the uh, oh on the beach the, the, the beach, beach chair yeah. yeah okay got it got it <laughs> or in the, in the shallow end with the kids yeah oh okay the yeah. kiddie pool okay yeah. <laughs> that's awesome you mm -hmm. mentioned that your character was not ethnically specific mm -hmm. what do you think that you bring to the character that is unique uniquely Asian maybe whether maybe if it's not even you know um, outwardly but like maybe in terms of the mindset of the character it's funny that you ask that because so I love the fact that the character I love the fact that ethnicity hasn't been brought into any like my storyline or any of my dialogue and any of that mm -hmm. but on the flip side of that it's now that we're two seasons in it's getting to a point where I'm like I kind of almost want them to write something mm -hmm. about my ethnicity and, and then maybe that's like why and maybe maybe that you know you're talking about your character arc right maybe that's how to help dive a little bit deeper into your character right. going into his past or right. understanding his family or, or something like that yeah no I think to answer your question uh, what I bring that might be innately Asian is I throw a lot of shade at Ben who's the main character mm -hmm. I look, my my perception of him is he's a privileged, uh, wealthy white boy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so throughout the show, you'll see me kind of trying to defy him and mm -hmm. you know being in his way in terms of what he's trying to accomplish mm -hmm. a lot in the show. So there could be that. Um, I have a really good bond with Xander, who is African American, mm -hmm. and that could be something there, or the fact that we're both ethnic, ethnic minorities in, minorities. in that in yeah. that town, and you know? kind of in that. So circle, we have a, yeah. we have a connection that is completely different from any of his connections with any of his other friends. Sorry, are you talking about the character, the, the characters? characters? Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. interesting. And so maybe there's a possibility that that would be written into that. Uh, that into the at least that's how I've been playing it. I don't know if that reads, but that's how. Okay. It. All right. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. And that is when Curtis went off to his audition about a block away from where we were chatting. Now, what I love about part two of our conversation is that we actually get to dive deeper into his influences and his connection with urban culture, Hawaiian culture, growing up as a third generation restaurant owner, runner, manager, 
all-around business dude and why he uses his platform for good. So here it is, part two. We are back from you, your audition. Boom. How'd it go? It went. It went. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How do you, like, I mean, after, I, I imagine you have to audition quite a bit, but, like, as, a, as, an, as an actor, um, but how, like, do you, do you think about it? Do you debrief? Like, or you just kind of, like, you, you let it go, and then it's, it's over and done with, and you just don't think about it? So, in the last couple of years, that's a great question. In the last couple of years, uh, I've switched my entire uh, perspective on, on auditioning. So before I, I found that I would get a really kind of nervous and anxious. And then at some point I kind of just switched this little part to my brain of realizing that um, nervousness and anxiety is kind of the same as excitement. It's just yeah. one's a positive, one's a negative. Mm -hmm. So I went from oh my god shit I have an audition oh fuck you know yeah. and making all these excuses and complaining to oh my god sweet I get to audition um, which changed everything you mm -hmm. know it, it changed my outlook on on the whole thing and it just got me excited and it just brings a whole different overall energy to the room and then what that allowed me to do was instead of being so nervous and in my own head it allowed me to just freely play in the room and therefore when you have all of your work prepared, you can just leave everything in the room. Mm -hmm. So I can do my best mm -hmm. and, and know that I did whatever it was that I wanted to do that made me happy. Mm -hmm. And then what I'll do is, in, in regards to the debriefing, I, I have a list of every single audition that I have, like on a big board in my, in my house. Um, so let's just say it's audition number like 29 or whatever, audition 40. I have the project, I have uh, the, who the casting director was, and then I'll put down how I felt it went. Mm -hmm. And then if there's feedback or if there's uh, uh, a callback or if I booked it, then I put another asterisk and I put, I, I mark that on the thing as well. So mm -hmm. by the end of the year, I get to see, oh my God, cool. Like, this was my journey, you know? Mm -hmm. um, this is what worked, this is what didn't. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll also put a, a, a brief description on, like, why I thought it mm -hmm. either worked or it didn't, or it, why I think it went well, or why it didn't go well. Um, but then after that, I'm able to just walk away from it and, and not mm -hmm. think about it, which That's, I think is very important. I, I think so as well. And I think, um, you know, no matter what your craft is, uh, it's really important to be able to kind of reflect in the moment and kind of see, like, how you want to approach that you know, it's, you know, obviously you're going to be doing more auditions later on down the road and mm -hmm. just trying to see not only how you can approach them differently or similarly, but also just to see that growth. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and it's just a very visual way to show what you've been able to accomplish, even if it's just walking into that room, getting booked for that audition, whether right. it's, you know, there's a, 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 a the outcome that you want or, or not. Right. right? Um, just to be able to go through that, because the more you audition, the more parts you're going to be, you know, hopefully considered for. Right? Sure. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it, yeah. So in that regard, that then I kind of enter like the Kobe Bryant mentality, the Mamba mentality, where if you don't, if you don't shoot, you can't, you can't score. Right. Mm -hmm. So it just, for me, it's just about, uh, it's kind of a numbers game, but it's also, you know, you got to be able to move on and move forward. Mm -hmm. So I audition, um, whether it went well or, or, or not, I, I take whatever I can from it. I learn from whatever I can. Mm -hmm. 
and then it's just on to the next. I can't, I can't worry about, you know, what I did wrong. Mm-hmm. It's just, you gotta just, you gotta keep it going, keep it moving, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just wrapped filming another season of Siren. And we had just talked about before our little break here um, about how you're really enjoying playing your character, Calvin. Is there anything that you can tell us about the upcoming season of Siren and uh, perhaps your character as well? Um, I think the tagline is the phrase that's been thrown around a lot this year is bad things will happen. Um, Season two, you can expect more mermaids to arrive. Wow. We learned that there's not just a few of them. There is, in fact, a whole colony of them out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure how much I can reveal, but uh, <laughs> just there's a lot more uh, interaction with them. And so now, now as the humans, we're trying to figure, we're trying to learn more about them. Mm-hmm. Right. And why they're here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not coincidental it's it's definitely uh situational and, and and circumstantial to a lot of the things that we as humans are doing to the earth so there's mm-hmm. a lot of uh relevance to currently what's going on today you know with pollution with with global warming and all that so you can you can expect a lot more action mm-hmm. um and for my character you can expect the same from what you got in season one just this kind of like rowdy, uh, passionate Chinaman. <laughs> uh, but there is a really interesting story to unfold in regards to what my character Calvin goes through. So mm-hmm. I'm really excited for people to see that. Really cool. We're mm-hmm. excited as well. And mm-hmm. when does the new season start? Uh, it, start airing? It airs January tw- 24th. Okay. Coming up, mark your calendars. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, uh, so far in our conversation, you've made a couple references to um, some of your idols, right? So Kobe Bryant, Will Smith, Jamie Foxx. Um, so I'm noticing a bit of a pattern here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I um, think I know where you're getting yeah, at. Yeah, yeah. And I know that for yourself also, you're, you're very um, passionate about urban music and urban culture. Um, so mm-hmm. I, for you, like, I'm curious to know, what was the first kind of exposure you had to, did it start with music, like urban culture? Like, what was your first exposure to urban culture? Was it the music or what really made you feel connected to urban culture? To urban culture. So when we say urban culture, we mean like kind of what we know as like the uh, American kind of hip hop or like black culture. Yeah, or? yeah, I would say so. Um, you know, what's funny. Like I remember the first tape that was ever given to me was by my uncle and it was the, the, the first Backstreet Boy, uh, album. Oh yeah. The little cassette yeah. tape. Yeah. So yeah. I remember, I just remember I was like, I don't know, I was in grade three or something like that <laughs> and bumping that. And I just felt so cool. And <laughs> the first CD that my dad ever bought me was, uh, was P. Diddy, Puffy. Wow. So he, did he bump that Way first? Up. Or was he it a just, hand-me-down? Or how did he know uh, to get that one for you? It was, uh, you remember when there was like Virgin Records and mm-hmm. he just bought a bunch of albums. And it's actually quite indicative of, of who I am as a person. But like, I remember in the stack of CDs he bought, it was like, it was like 
maybe NSYNC or like, you know, Backstreet. And then you'd have like Big Shiny Tunes. You'd have yeah. uh, Shania Twain. Yeah. And then there's Diddy, Puffy. <laughs> um, Puff Daddy, as he was called in those days. Puff Daddy, that's yeah. right. <laughs> and so that was kind of my introduction to, you know, rap or I guess hip hop. And then because I grew up loving basketball, all, you know, my entire room was just posters of like Allen Iverson and Kobe Bryant, you know, Tracy McGrady and, and, and a lot of, just a lot of black guys. <laughs> right. Um, and then I think, I, I think it was through basketball that it opened up my eyes to the, to the culture. So, uh, to, for the music, for, for the entertainment, for, uh, clothing and accessories, Mm-hmm. I always wanted like a big, big chain and some gold teeth. Did you ever get that? No. Oh, is it still on the list of things to, to on your to do list or a list of things yeah. to get? Or probably. Yeah. <laughs> probably no one around me will like uh, really, truly allow me to do it or accept me for it. But it, <laughs> once I. Once the fuck you money comes in, you'll, you'll see it. Oh, okay. Chain. Sounds good. Well, the day I have a big chain, you'll know it's like, oh, oh, oh he's made it. Made it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, you could just do you, right? Um, I mean, I grew up listening to, I would say like that exact, you know, stack of CDs as mm-hmm. well. Um, and I remember the very first um, hip hop song that I was introduced to was by an older cousin who was kicked out of like his parents place because he kept on getting in trouble with the cops and all that kind of stuff. So he had to live with me and my family. And so he ended up, you know, you know, teaching me about music. The mm-hmm. first song that he ever introduced me, introduced to me was, um, bone thugs. Uh, really? yeah, it was, it was a song by bone huh. thugs. Oh my gosh. Like, like, at least like for me, that was the very first like hip hop, like real hip hop song that I was mm. introduced to. And then from there, it was just kind of a landslide of, like all these different urban music artists. And I think for me, and I think it's probably similar for you as well, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that once you start kind of going down that hole, it's like, wow, like I I really identify with this, right? You identify with it in the sense of the hustle. Like you want to work hard. You know that working hard is important. Um, And that if you work hard, you'll be able to accomplish your goals. You'll be able to overcome any obstacles. Mm. And that's how I kind of saw it. And so for me, like up until probably even recently, I I feel like I connected more, mostly because of the music. I feel like I connected more to urban culture than Mm. I did of my, than my Chinese heritage. Mm. Right. Mm. Um, And I don't know, I don't know for you, but like for, at least for me personally, I felt that way because black culture and urban culture was just so proud but mm-hmm. growing up, you know, in Vancouver or like Richmond for myself, mm-hmm. um, I wasn't, it, there was no like sense of pride in being Chinese. Mm-hmm. And so to be able to connect with that pride from the black cult community or black culture um, and black music, right? That's, that's where I felt like, yeah, I can, I want to be proud of something. And I really feel like I connect with the music as well. Absolutely. What was your experience with that? Very similar. Um, and I think we've talked about this before. We did, yeah. Um, yeah, that, I mean, you, you, you hit it right on the head. Um, I, too, grew up really repressing and, and negating my entire culture, my own culture, my ethnicity. And, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I spoke 
Cantonese at home-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, I spoke it with my grandparents, but you would never catch me speaking it outside at all, you know, to yeah. my friends or anything like that. Because what kind of friends did you have at that time? Were they... Um, it was mostly white. Like, I, you okay. know, I was, for the most part, growing up, I was always kind of like the token, token Asian guy. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until, like, after high school did I completely reverse that. And I, <laughs> now today I only have, you know... <laughs> More or less ethnic friends. Yeah, you know? yeah, sure. And it's like a token <laughs> white guy or something like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's funny how that happens. Yeah. But yeah, no, you're right. It's funny. I, I, I'm i thinking back right now to this time I was down in L.A. And I just remember drunkenly walking, leaving a club with one of my best friends. Shout out to Richie McFly. And we were we left this black club. And I led like a revolt of people because we were like celebrating something. And I was like... Guys, Roscoe's on me. Oh. And so we led this charge of maybe like 20 people. They're all black. Yeah. Behind us. We we're marching to chi- uh, Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles. And one guy came up to me and he's like, man, you guys are some N-words. Oh. <laughs> and we just felt so cool because we're like, oh my God, someone called me the N-word. So proud. I was like, I was like proud moment. How, did you, how did you know? He's like, what, that you're an N-word? I'm like, yeah. He goes, well, you sure ain't white. And I was like, <laughs> he's right. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, uh, and was that the first time? Like, I think it's that, that validation almost. It's like, wow. Like, I mean, it's... Well, uh, you know, it's, it's, you're, it's, you're a part of the club. Yeah, you're oh, a part of the club. But I, I said, I brought that up because that's kind of how I felt about, in terms of finding, or the reason why I think the urban, or the quote-unquote black culture appealed to me so much. Mm-hmm. was because it just... It seemed easier for me to to latch on to that and, mm-hmm. and want to be a part of that. I think it's also just um, more uh, more apparent, more tangible as well. Just because right. you know, growing up in North America in a primarily like English speaking like community, mm-hmm. I mean, if you don't identify with those that you know maybe speak like um, their their mother tongue that that's not English, um, if you don't identify with those those people, then you're going to go to hopefully like the next the next closest thing i guess right right and so to find that community or find that kind of understanding mm-hmm. that culture that you can really connect to can be really powerful yeah and empowering you, i think like i said you hit it right on the head when it comes to just relatability mm-hmm. i think as different ethnic groups um one thing that I, i've always loved about hip-hop music i mean one of my favorite rappers of all time jay-z you know he he really I think helped me with my journey as who I am. Mm-hmm. He was like this hustler, this bonafide hustler, but he he did it, it seems like anyways, he did it with such class mm-hmm. and he kind of like bossed up on it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, you know, in terms of my come up, how I've always wanted to be perceived or how I've gone about things. I've done business deals and I've done like, certain things in my life where the only reference I had was Jay-Z lyrics. You're not a businessman. You're a businessman. <laughs> Let me handle my business. Damn. Yeah. There <laughs> you go. I like um, it. You finished it for me. It's perfect. But, you know, yeah. So, you know, as as different ethnic groups, I think, you know, whether it's the fact that we've all overcome some sort of, you know, um some sort of struggle, you know, we've all been marginalized in some way, defranchised or disenfranchised in, in some way, I mean, to each of our own respects. Yeah. Um, 
there's what's what comes from that is this 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 beautiful and vibrant and powerful culture and that's something that I guess really appealed to me about the, the black culture right like you said they're just so proud to be black they're proud of their community and they really it seemed like they really supported one another mm-hmm. you know and we didn't have the, that voice at all at that yeah, time at least not growing up probably right. more, definitely more so now right yeah I, mean, we were, I don't know about you but I was ashamed of being Chinese like I definitely wanted to be white and then later on you know I I don't know if I if I wanted to be black but you know I I admired them and their culture mm-hmm. um, but I think we're, we're almost there as far as the Asians go, especially for the Chinese community, you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of similarities. I think we're, we're very much alike, mm-hmm. um, especially the Chinese. How so? I'm black. Again, you know, uh, we've had, uh, not to compare the, the struggles, right? But we've, we've, um, we've overcome a lot. Uh, and... We're very expressive, <laughs> you know. I think it's it's safe to say that when you go to not all but most Chinese households, you know, someone in your family is very very expressive, <laughs> you know, um, and that trickles down to everything like food, right, mm-hmm. in the culture as well. Like our food, or it, there's a lot of soul in it, and right. Same thing with soul food and. Um, I think all of that comes from coming, coming over adversity and, and, and coming out of that struggle. And it's about, you know, self-expression. And I think it's also a way to show that you care if you cook them a meal. Right. If you cook someone a meal, it right. shows that you care about them. You care for their well-being. You're right. creating something for them. Right. Speaking of food, mm-hmm. um, so why don't you tell me about your family restaurant? Um, we... Yeah, so we have a spot right now. Uh, we do homestyle Japanese and Hawaiian comfort food. Very different from the type of restaurants that I grew up working in. Working in um, that either my my dad or my grandfather has operated. Um, it's a very humble uh, spot. It's a cafe that we do homestyle Japanese and Hawaiian comfort food. And how that how that came about was. Uh, when we opened the restaurant, our head chef, uh, Matt, all of the recipes were passed down from his mom. So they were very traditional and very just, you know, home style. It was kind of like Japanese soul food. Um, people sort of, you know, were coming in bit by bit and eventually people kind of heard about it and it became like a really fun place, especially in that, in that neighborhood. Um, and then he left, and then we thought, okay, how can we take this up a notch? And I grew up in, in Hawaii. I spent about... Up until what age? Uh, up until I was like seven or so. Mm-hmm. So when I was three, four, I was back and forth every year. And uh, I, just, I just remember how good Hawaiian food was. And so how it all started, I was like, man, I would just love to try some Hawaiian food. Like, do you guys by any chance know how to cook it to my parents? And they're like... Yeah, we do. Yeah. And I was like, we should sell it. Like, no one's doing it. And this is before, we were doing poke before any of these poke shops were, were popping mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's cool to see now that, like, 
that Hawaiian culture is starting to really blossom in the city. Um, and to kind of be one of the first you know, in the forefront of, of bringing that culture. You're kind of shaping that. Mm-hmm. How would you describe Hawaiian culture? Um, for me, it's, it, it's, it's simple yet um, complex. It's, 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 uh, it's beautiful. It's vibrant um, and really flavorful. And it really just speaks to the mana. You know, it really speaks to the soul. It's really food from the heart. Um, yeah. Without any kind of like, you don't need any bouginess. There's no frills. It's just, it's just uh, really good hearty food, you know. So how much, how much are you involved in uh, the restaurant and how are your parents involved? Um, my involvement is I, I help out however I can. I run the um, social media side of things. Um, I'm there as much as I can be. So that could be, depending, depending on my schedule, it could be six days a week. It could be once a week. But ultimately, you know, I'm, 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 I'm not always there physically, but, uh, you know, I'm always involved somehow, some way, whether it's the back end or, or something, or I'm buying, mm-hmm. buying for the restaurant. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I tend to, to find that with family, but the family owned businesses in particular restaurant and, uh, businesses, uh, sometimes there might be a bit of an expectation to take over the family business or over the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Is, do you, did you ever feel that kind of expectation um, on yourself, given that your, your parents have been involved in the restaurant industry for so long now? And how long have they been involved? Yeah. Um, well, I'm, a, I'm technically a third-generation restaurateur. So my grandfather was the first to um, be in the restaurant business. Um, he had a restaurant in Chinatown called the Jade Palace, and it was the first push cart dim sum restaurant in Vancouver so absolutely there is always this pressure that was that was just this like dark cloud over me where like my dad really really wanted me to be a part of what he was built you know working so hard to build Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't know I just knew from a really young age that I had to kind of break off and do my own thing and kind of work towards building my own legacy if Mm -hmm. you will but with that said, I, I think because it's in my blood, I'll always be a part of a restaurant or a bar or something mm-hmm. down the road, you know. And a lot of actors, you know, they'll, you know, focus on acting first and open up restaurants. For sure. Um, and you can use everything as leverage, you know, and that's mm-hmm. kind of how, how I've always done it. Like when even when I had my club nights, I'd have uh, like a pre-party at the at my restaurant of first course. and then from there we, you know we pre-game and then we go to the club yeah yeah you know and then I'd, at the club I'd be promoting my restaurant and over <laughs> at the restaurant and all the customers coming in hey you looking for a good time tonight oh promoting the club. so good um I wish I knew you back then lots of good good eats and good dancing and good music yeah, right yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah those are the days um and yeah so just you know it it was really, it was really difficult for me to break off because I don't know if it's an Asian thing or what, but you know, um, defying your parents is, is, is really tough and it didn't happen overnight. Like it, it took a couple of years for me to finally kind of break off from, from their spell or if you will, or, you know what I mean? It was moving out and really kind of like, I had to have a, a strong disconnect for a while and move away 
so that I can come back and like really be there for them and really love them and really respect them mm-hmm. and for them to respect me, you know, mm-hmm. and for me, it had to be a show and prove thing. So I had to show them that what I was doing was not only viable and potentially lucrative, but like that I was happy doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of like this, I don't know, rite of passage thing, not only for myself, but for, to prove to them. Yeah. yeah. And I think a lot of times too, um, although, you know, for us, like we realize like, Hey, we're growing up, we're growing older. We're becoming more clear on what we want. Mm-hmm. Um, our parents kind of have to go through the same thing as well. Right. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, a, it's definitely a different passage in their lives too, mm-hmm. to realize that, Hey, their their kids growing up, mm-hmm. their kid has, um, other things that they want. They're not going to just listen to what the parents say. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, how long did it take for you to kind of, you know, kind of show and prove, um, or show and tell and kind of, you know, kind of disconnect and reconnect. Uh, what, what were some of the things that, that you had to do? Yeah. That too? Well, to be honest, I mean, I'm still going through it in terms of like really true, you know, truly showing them that it's viable. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, it, it all happens in steps. It's all, it's all pro- progress, right? Like the first time that I think, really made a difference was when I booked dim sum funeral. So that was maybe I was acting for like two years at the time and for them to see me working with some pretty decent sized names as far as Hollywood goes, but also Asian Hollywood, um, you know, seeing, seeing their faces or their reaction to that was, was pretty sweet. Um, Mm -hmm. I was serving, at the restaurant for years and uh, I went away to shoot a TV show and I'll never forget this but when I came back this is how I found out that they supported me they never showed the support to my face of course they. why right? would they they're Asian parents they but, couldn't exactly. <laughs> but when I came back the regular customers they knew exactly what was going on they knew where I went and for how long and for what show because turns out that like my dad or my mom was just like bragging about me to these customers they could never do that in front of your face yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) so i was like oh okay interesting Mm -hmm. and you know that meant a lot and then um the game changer for me was uh i did a show called psych and there was one scene where we we shot in um the doctor the uh, Dr. Sun Gardens. Dr. Sun Yat-sen. Sun Yat-sen, yeah. yeah. Uh, in Chinatown. Mm-hmm. And there were about like 300 extras. And wow. it was like, it was a scene right out of like a big time, you know, action movie. Yeah. Um, and so I invited them to set that day. And so they, wow. met, they met the, the producers, the director, mm-hmm. and they got to see me like shoot that scene where it was like me jumping over a wall <gasps> And then following this family and doing all this cool ninja shit. Whoa. Um, so yeah, regardless of, re- regardless of what happened with that show or the character or whatever, just that the, the pure notion of them being there to see that and, and support me with that, that, you know, that meant everything. That's really cool. But, um, yeah, it's, it's continual progress. It's, mm-hmm. there's different levels. To and it, there but, will be more times. Yeah. Like, have you brought them on set for Siren or any other shows? Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, so and I, I now know that I have their support. It's funny. It's it's kind of the opposite now. Like before, I was always hiding it from them, and mm-hmm. I was a little bit embarrassed or whatever. Um, you know, now it's like 
like I had to prove to them, oh, like, yeah, I have to go to this audition. Like, it, it means a lot. They're like, oh, what? An audition? Now it's like, I can't, I, I almost don't want to tell them too much. Like, I can't tell my mom that I'm auditioning for a show because now she, every day, like, on the hour, she's like, well, have you heard anything? Have you heard anything? Oh, like, so sweet. I told her that uh, I, um, <laughs> I was going out for a, a Steven Spielberg project once. And, like, within a day, like, her, all of her friends and oh. all, my whole family knew. So I had like everyone texting me like, Hey, have you heard, of, have you heard about the project? Oh. And I was like, Oh, so it's the complete opposite now. Now yeah, I have yeah. to like keep everything low key with them <laughs> and pretend like, Oh yeah, it's cool. It's, yeah, it's chill. The hype is real. Yeah. Um, so now it's like a different level of, ah. now it's like, now if it's, if I don't get a part, I'm like, Oh, sorry guys. You know? Yeah. Sorry to hype you, hype it up yeah. or get you, get you all excited and stuff. But yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure they're proud of you either way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know that. I think so. Um, you've used your platform and influence to support charitable causes. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not new to you, but what has been the most rewarding experience or outcome you've been able to support so far? Because I think that's a big, the, I mean, I don't know, like when I look at your social media and, and even just talking with you, knowing that that you just become so passionate about these causes or supporting these organizations that you're involved with, mm-hmm. what has been the most rewarding for you? Um, it's really rewarding on, on a lot of levels. I mean, one, helping anybody that needs help and like legitimately needs help, I think is, is always a great thing. And I've always, that's, that's the kind of person I am. I'm, I'm a doer for, for people. Like that's how I show my love. Like mm-hmm. if I, whatever I can do for you. Right. And so being in a position where I'm finally, I finally have somewhat of a voice, you know, um, I think it's important for me to, to prove to myself, but also to show others that, um, you know, we have a platform now where you can use it for good, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I posted a video about it, but like this, this, this one guy, he was like, we're called social influencers. Like, what are exactly are you influencing? Like, what is mm-hmm. it about when someone comes to your page or your Twitter or whatever? You know, are they leaving being a better person, or are they leaving you know angry? Or are they leaving with what? So it's like, you know, everything is everything, right? Like, what what whatever you put out there is a representation of yourself. And I just kind of want to be, you know, inspiring others to, to kind of be their best and do whatever they can in the present to, to, you know, inflect change. And the most, that's a tough, that's a tough one. Obviously to see people in need get help is, is, is a, is a, is a big one, but also it's always beautiful for me to see that there are people that genuinely want to help. So like for instance, like a couple months ago when we did the Alzheimer's campaign, seeing this huge outpour of support from all these people from all over the world, like random people that I've never even met in my life, mm-hmm. uh, reach out to me about their stories. And, mm-hmm. and so what you were doing, you were raising money to support the Alzheimer's Society of BC. Correct. And you did um, a hike up, grouse, up the grouse grind with that as well. Correct. How much money did you raise? We, so I started a campaign with, um, my acting coach, Deborah Podowski, um, it's called, uh, artists for Alzheimer's. And a couple months ago it was, uh, uh, national Alzheimer's month. 
and together we raised twenty five thousand. Wow. Or over twenty five thousand. Wow. Um, which went to the Alzheimer's Society of BC. And what I like about them is that uh, they kind of recognize that there really isn't much we can do for Alzheimer's right now. Like there isn't like a for sure cure. So they spend most of their money on creating awareness in terms of prevention. They, mm. they spend money on caretakers. They spend money on programs that actually help affect what we can right now, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which which I liked. So um, to, to hear all of these random people's stories and to see how many people were affected by it and the power that this brought them. I mean, that, that kind of, that meant everything to me. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just about doing what you can. Like we all, we all bitch about, Oh, you know, this is unfair. This is unfair. Or I hate this. I hate that. It's like, okay, well at some point we need to buckle down and, and figure out what we can do that, can make things better, you know, instead of mm-hmm. just complaining about it. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like being the change that you want to see, you know, and that's what it is for me. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So our podcast is called Pearls of Wisdom. And um, I want to ask you, do you have any pearls of wisdom for our audience? It can be a life hack, fitness hack, just our motivational like quote, anything in life that you live by. Woo! <laughs> All right. What would Curtis Lum do is basically what I'm asking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think in, in this day and age, in 20, almost 19, I think everyone should take accountability and, uh, and, Like I said, be the, you know, be the change you want to you want to you want to see, blah 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 blah, and all that cliche shit. But like, really, just take accountability for yourself, um, and try to not have too many excuses and eliminate kind of uh, you know why shouldn't you do something or why can't you do something, and just 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 go and just just try. Just really is no such thing as failure. Just keep trying, keep trying. Eventually things either work out or you'll find a little gem in there that you didn't even know was there in the first place and that'll take you to something else. And I mean, it's called life, right? Mm -hmm. There's a reason why looking back in hindsight, it's kind of like, oh, you can can map out everything. It's because as long as you're not, you know, a complete dickhead or, or jerk, uh, in life, you know, just be nice, just be kind, treat others how you want to be treated and just, you'll kind of, you'll, you'll get to a good place. So just keep at it. Positive vibes only. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm living proof that if you, if you keep your head down and, and just keep working and be consistent and visual visualizing kind of where you want to be and just working towards that eventually you'll end up somewhere in the right place i love it yeah really great so to uh learn a little bit more about curtis uh check out our website coldcollective.com follow us on facebook 
and on Instagram at Cold Tea Collective and on Twitter at Cold Tea Media because Twitter doesn't let us uh, use all the characters in our name, but <laughs> all good anyway. Uh, thank you so much, Curtis, for your time. And thank you so much to Jessica and Mark for helping us out today behind me. the scenes as well. And um, until next time, uh, thank you so much, Curtis. Thank you. P.S. I have no idea what I just said. Was I even speaking English? I think so. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think so. I, I understood it, right, guys?